That's the way you begin. That's the way you begin. Hello and welcome again to Fat Free Film. I'm Joel Marshall. And I'm Pamela Lopez Dawson. And we are here uh, at the beautiful Haunted Hotel, um, about an hour north of Los Angeles, shooting um, a very interesting film called The Intervention. And uh, we're fortunate enough today to have with us the director, writer, and one of the producers, Shannon Heil, um, one of the wonderful actors in the ensemble, David Orr, and the extremely talented director of photography, <laughs> Kurt Brebet. Um, so, uh, and as you guys who have been listening to Fat Free Film know, um, I'm acting in this film, and so it's a great opportunity for us to speak to a lot of people that are very well versed in a lot of aspects of independent filmmaking. So welcome, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having Glad us. Okay, so the, one of the first questions that I have is, uh, last week we were talking about how horror films are a good genre for a first time filmmaker, at least at this point. Um, how did you come about the idea to do this film? How did you come about that idea? Well, again, it started out, I um, had a couple other scripts, tried to raise money, and everybody said, write a horror, write a horror. You can raise money, they're marketable. So uh, I had to figure out two things. One, how do you get everybody in one house and keep them there for the entire night? Because we knew we wanted to shoot in this one location, also because of the cost. And secondly was how can we keep it sophisticated and um, clever without a group of teenagers going up and having some crazed maniac go after them. So I'm driving around thinking about it, and I thought, well, having participated in an intervention of sorts, which was an isolated incident for a, a family member, I thought, well, that gets everybody into one place. And... Because it can be anyone of any age, so I skewered a little bit. Is it skewered or skewed? Skewed. skewed. stabbed. I stabbed a little skewed. bit <laughs> older um, because I wanted an older cast and mm -hmm. uh, wanted to make it a more adult-themed. And then there you go. Cool. And what is your background? Um, I'm an actor. And I've been doing that uh, since my early 20s. It's mostly comedy. I studied with the Second City in Toronto. Oh, really? And um, so that's kind of my background. And I also, uh, with David, we were part of a theater company in the early 90s, and that, that's how a lot of us all met. And uh, so that's my background. I've done a lot of shorts and, and uh, sketch comedy in theater and, and acted. Do you think being an actor makes a person a better director? I think so. I mean, I think you have to have some knowledge of how uh, actors work because I've worked with really g good actors and I've worked, I mean, uh, directors and really, really terrible directors. And the ones that are terrible tend to be very uh, visually um, good, but they don't have any sense of character or, and I, my all-time favorite is Sidney Lumet. I mean, mm -hmm. I just think he's the best director in the world because he captures both the visual style but it's all about character it's all about the story everything has to be about the story if you're not telling a great story then why be there I could say one thing that I've noticed um, working with Shannon as a director um, and it's something that I have not been able to do when I have directed is that she maintains a very accurate sense of where everyone is within the overall story and I think that's a critical part of being a director so she can tell you well in this scene you need to be at this state because you're so I mean you're shooting out of order you don't exactly know what's going on you know you're worried about your costume you're worried about hitting your mark you're worried about the flies which are you know ridiculous <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. and then you know, you think you're kind of supposed to be something or other, but she knows exactly, specifically where the story is going and how we have to behave in order to bring the story over. And so because she is an actor, she's able to communicate that extremely clearly from the perspective of character, and I think that makes a huge difference. How so. did you... Um, 
make the decision to shoot on film. Was that a tough decision for you, or did you just decide that right away? Um, twofold. One, I love film. I'm just, I love film, and I love the medium, and I think it looks great. And secondly, I uh, went to the film market just to kind of get a feel of what was out there. Was that the AFM? Yeah. The American film market, which takes place in Santa Monica, California. Mm-hmm. It's coming up, in fact. In November. So we went to the film market, and we just asked around to see what kind of other horror films were out there. And it's just saturated. I mean, there's, you know, everybody wants to do a horror film, and it's all on HD. So we'd come up, and people were not interested in talking to us. And then we'd say, well, we're shooting on film. And then they'd, oh, and then we'd say, and it's more of an adult theme. It's more of a thriller type horror. Oh, so it was really the fact that we were uh, shooting on a film where people took us seriously. And I have to say, the truth of the matter is, you should always make the decision based on what your film is. I mean, there are some films that need to be on HD, and there's some films, but never go to HD because you think it's cheaper. There's always a way to find. The, the money to do 35, it, it's a complete fallacy to think you can't shoot on film. This is an incredibly low-budget film we're doing here. And, you know, you cut corners in other places, but... And it's not necessarily cheaper yeah, at all. No, to shoot on HD. It's That's just right. not. So make your decision based on what you feel you want your film to be. Now, a lot of this I, film... I, wow, I'm oh, just so shocked by that statement, actually, that I, I really need some further clarification on that. Well, first of all, nowadays, you don't need to blow it back up right away. So you, you're not cutting and you're not editing on film. You're cutting and editing on tape. And you can keep it on tape. And most of the time, you, you keep it on tape until it's sold anyway because whoever buys it might want to come in and change it. And you, so it, a lot of the cost is blowing it back up. But what about telecineing for $200 an hour, your, all your dailies? And what about processing in the lab? And what about buying the stock? It is, it, it is. It does cost more than tape, but it's not. It's not unachievable. That's what I'm saying. It just isn't. Yeah, but but, but, but the, the other thing, you know, is, HD is, is a is Kurt the DP talking yeah. now. Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, HD is a, it's just another way of telling a story. I mean, everyone has these these ideas that film versus tape. I, I don't know necessarily believe that they have as much a distinction as everyone believes. That there is. I mean, I think there is a, you can tell a great story in HD, and you can also tell a great story on, on 35. There are some cost factors in both, and you just have to sit down and say, what do I want to do? I think you can achieve a great-looking movie on HD. There are several different cameras and several different formats, and once you shoot on HD, if you go to film, there is a couple of steps you have to think about, but that could be down the line. But if you shoot on film and you're not going to go to HD or some other format, you have to... You have to think about what format might be your your festival cost. Meaning, you shoot on film. There, are, on this particular film, we're going from from thirty five to a beta uh, master, and that's going to go to to the festival and wait for a distribu- distribution, possibly to pick it up. I don't know if I can divulge all this, but. Right. But so Why in my it's a one point two million dollar film. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but from my perspective, perspective, you know, Digibeta is not the best, the best looking festival. Well, for screening purposes, for screening purposes absolutely not. not. But okay, you know, the this reality. Is David Orr over here. Hi. <laughs> no, but but uh, the reality is, a lot of folks think that you you can get your film on digital quicker and faster and cheaper than you can on film. And I have always said that the, the, re- the reality actually is the production value that you have for your independent film is based on the amount of blood, sweat, and tears you put into it. If you want to shoot on film and you have a great script, you'd be surprised how many people would bend over backwards to actually let you um, do anything they can to give you film, to give you cameras. I've shot a short where they, I had two free 35-millimeter cameras given to me by Panavision and video playback. Um, it, it can be done, and you have to really, really beg, borrow, and steal to do it. But there's also the reality of the cost of, yes, you got you got a process, but the second you start to blow up your digital neg, and um, it catches up very quickly. And you can also, when you're shooting the film... The time it takes, you have no, you can't be wasting time fiddling with the monitor. And when you're on 
digital and you're shooting HD or just mini DV or whatever it is, and you have your monitor right there, you're like, wow, I'll have this on tape right away. Guess what? You sit there forever and ever and ever and ever because you can look at it and look at it and look at it. And when you're shooting on film, you tend to go, we have to go and let's shoot. Yeah. And there's also dark corners that you can shut off on film. In a video, everything's kind of there and it's a whole different process and it's subtractive. But you can run fast, run and gun with, with film and then you still have film looks. So you can get short ends, you can get recans, you can do a lot of things. Can you explain what short ends are to our people out there? Short ends are the things turned back into the lab where let's say they have a thousand foot reel and they shot everything but 180 feet. And they say, wow, we have 180 feet left. That's too short for our next take. What can we do with it? And they sell it back to the lab. Now they turn around and say to a filmmaker or whomever, gosh, you got 180 feet here, who wants it? Now not many people want 180 feet. So you get a cheaper deal on the shorter stock. It's also been tapped into a little bit, so you're a little worried about whether or not it's brand new. It's not brand new, obviously. So, uh, But, you know, if it's a quality company and all that stuff, um, you can trust your short ends, but uh, they're short. I mean, We're using recans on this. Yeah, recans. But, but, you know, just to, just some of this HD thing, I mean, I mean if you're – I think the passion of your idea will take Absolutely. you to any format you want to go shoot yeah. it, you know, with, with anime, I mean, shoot animations, you know, and then it'll tell your story just frame by frame. But I mean, shoot it with D, DV or with Absolutely. pixelation. I mean, just tell your story, well, whatever it is, wherever you are, yeah, this just tell the damn story. I really wanted it to feel like a, a 1970s horror film is really why we went to 35 because everything about this from the set design um, to the lighting, to the way we're shooting it, it has a, a, a that late '60s, early '70s qualities. We're not doing anything fancy here. We're not doing anything, you know. Um, we're doing dolly shots, and we're doing all the old-fashioned. We're doing everything. I mean, no CGI. I mean, we can't afford CGI anyway. That's the thing. Everything's you know, on what, film. Yeah, what, what you're doing on the day. is you're you're choosing it for aesthetic reasons yeah, and absolutely. for story reasons, exactly. and ultimately. I think some some um, young filmmakers sometimes think, well, okay, first off, here's the story, here's what I'd like to do, but you know what? That throw that out the window. What we better do is this, and I'd say, no, 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 no. If that's what it really should be aesthetically, then now you say we got to roll up our sleeves. Let's get that done, and you can. Yeah. You really can. Yeah. And so, and that's really more important. Do it. Do what's right for the story. David, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because you have a very interesting background and <laughs> an interesting perspective here. Um, well, I, I began as an actor, um, uh, majored in theater in, in college, and, and certainly began my career as an actor. I, I moved to L.A. And, and nepotistically knew nobody. So um, I had always envisioned that I would go to film school. But um, after doing, you know, like 12 student films with uh, USC students and UCLA and the variety, um, they all said, well, what are you talking about? You're a professional actor. You should just do it. And I said, you know what? You're right. Let's just do it. So I started shooting shorts. And then um, I ended up uh, shooting a feature called Blossom Time that I directed and produced and um, had a little role in. Um, Shannon was also in the film. Um, we used uh, kind of the principles we had at the theater that we were at in L.A. Kurt, Kurt was the Kurt was the DP, um, and um, so it's one big family here. Yes. But we, you know, the principles of the theater where you have everyone backstage in a um, in theater. They're not every, back, everyone backstage helps out and is, and is a stage manager and is helping you with cues and the whole bit. Um, and sometimes it gets a little bit uh, not like that on a film set where it's, you know, everyone has their... Um, Very hierarchical. Exactly. Yeah. And they have they, their little job, whatever. And, you know, when you have an independent film, you really, everyone has to say, hey, listen, if we're running and gunning and someone needs to pick up that sandbag, hey, you know what? Let's pick it up. I'm not going to say, well, no, I'm not touching the sandbag. I'm an actor. And so we thought, you know what? You take that theater experience, that theater, uh, which we had from our you know, days there at L.A. Art Theater. And um, I sort of got that kind of group together, um, and we shot this feature. But, you know, um, I also was a waiter for many years, and at some point I decided, you know, I'm getting a little old to wait tables. So I started, you know, going to the studios and temping, and I ended up um, getting hired on as an assistant to producers on some studio films. And um, that led to me 
sort of being an executive at Miramax and another company called Debmar Studios, which became Debmar Mercury, which was recently bought by Lionsgate. Moved so quick. <laughs> but that was sort of my day job um, instead of waiting tables. And I also wanted to sort of see behind the scenes how things worked. Um, and I could also provide sort of a creative eye on what they were doing. Um, and then I was able to sort of you know, take in some of the distribution aspects of it and producing aspects and stuff like that. Um, Did you find that beneficial to you as an actor also to, to know all these different roles? or, or um, do you, Would you have uh, not been a waiter? Like if you were to go back in time, would you have started working for studios absolutely. earlier? Yeah, absolutely. No, I would have. And, and um, you know, I'm an actor at heart, really. And out of necessity, I've done other things and I've always wanted to. But um, really, um, I'm an actor at heart. And uh, yeah, I would have because I think at the end of the day, it's so important who you know in town and, and to get together with other people who want to do things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, everyone at the studio that has a, uh, an underling position mm-hmm. wants to be uh, a screenwriter or a director or a producer. Or, and all of the directors and producers realize this, and they don't feel bad about that. They think, great, you're the next, and they, they're not uh, looking down on you about that. So you kind of like, wow, that's great. And you... You meet people who are doing the same things, and you're able to, um, you know, sort of get projects together, talk about things, and meet other people, and put things together, and have a lot of irons on the fire that, you know, hopefully something gets done. And when you're waiting tables, it's great, but, you know, at the end of the day, it really is just a bunch of unemployed actors going, gosh, you know, I hope to get the next, you know, big role. Unemployed actors who are waiting. I mean, that's the one thing that this group all has in common is we don't wait for, I mean, Everybody I know in this group has created their own stuff. It's like you beg, borrow, steal. You ask for favors. Um, you do whatever you can. If you can only make it for two thousand, then that's the budget, and you find a way to do it. If you can make it for ten, if you can make it, whatever you can come up with, that's what you shoot it on. Don't wait. I I, I have friends who keep waiting for the ideal circumstances, right. the right amount of money, that name actor. This and this attached, and and they're still waiting. In the meantime, I've worked on David's films. He, he's working on mine now. Don't wait. Yeah, Just it, I, get started. It has momentum. People start jumping aboard, especially when you're doing your first. I mean, which I found out, you can ask a lot of help. I mean, I've gotten uh, David Watkins, who's doing our FX, one of the best FX guys in the business. Why? I come to him, look, this is my first film. I need really cool stuff. Can you help me? And people will help you. It's like uh, my husband's uncle used to say, don't ask for favors, ask for help. And people do want to help. And especially with your first, you get a lot of permission on your first. Look, it's my first. Can you please help? Sure, we'll help. Um, Our script supervisor, she was trained by uh, Susan Watkins, who's uh, Oliver Stone's uh, script supervisor. She's worked for some of the biggest directors. I went to her, and I realized she's not going to do this film. Um, but I said, hey, who? And she goes, oh, I just trained this new gal. She needs experience. So, I mean, the people on board on these things are absolutely amazing, gifted, wonderful, talented people. So it's all top notch. You don't have to settle. You know, just ask for help. And be proactive. I yeah. think that's really what you're saying is yeah. be proactive. Yeah. You know, everyone, uh, if they really, they, everyone has one shot. I mean, the way you, you sort of have like, you know, you can't go to the well too often. Right. Um, but. You know, if if you also come from a, a place of class, um, of doing things that you really personally believe to be great, it's amazing how many people will get behind you. I mean, if you personally believe what you're doing is fantastic. And I've always said to uh, folks who ask, well, you know, I've got to make sure the business plan is this and this is your profit if, if, if we sell this and that. And I always say the first thing you sell is pride because you know what? You can give them that. And it can never sell, but they've got pride. At the end of the day, they're going to go, wow, I'm proud of this. And if anyone buys that and they want that, you can give them that. And you know what? They're happy, and they'll go back and do it again. They'd have forgotten about that. Hey, I was thinking I was going to make millions. No, no, no. Why would you even tell them that? I mean, who, who's... Yeah, don't, who's do the, don't do the sale con, yeah, you know? You don't selling? need to. Really, this is going to be the next. Yeah. You don't need to do that. That's what it's about. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that'll take care of itself. Yeah. What you want to do is good work, 
And you can, at the end of the day, say, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to be proud of this film. You put money into it, you can show whoever. And they're going to go, well, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you have something that, wow, I'm going to make sure I deliver on that. And, and as yourself, you want to do that anyway. The rest will take care of itself. You do good work, you know what I mean? And it takes care of itself, I think. I, I also think that... Um you know, the, the director, writer, producer, they, they have a tendency to covet their material. And one thing I've noticed in this project, as well as David's project, Shannon being the director of this one, um, that they do covet their material, but they have given all their key people a, a great amount of freedom to do the thing that they want to do and kind of create their own creative look and get involved emotionally. And that's what, as a key person, as a director of photography or as a as a designer, of you know, production designer, they need to be able to... To, to emote their own creative effort into the movie. And, you know, it's it's a very easy way to kind of, this is my project, it's my first project, to try to take control and try to squeeze their own philosophy into the project. And, and what is interesting about these two projects that I've worked on is that I was brought on early, which I recommend to all new projects. Bring your key people in early. Let them think about them. Let them digest all the material where they, it becomes, they become a character as well as the characters within the movie. So they can allow themselves to kind of think and feel the fluidity of what their imagination brings to the project and bring that into the movie. So not a week before the project starts. Bring them on months before so you can talk about it, go to the cafe, and just, just generate ideas. Because you can, you can only, with, with enough preparation, you can bring you know, twice the amount of imagination to the moment because you've thought about it. So we could, I thought we had this precise idea, but then at the moment you know the material so well, we can do this, 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 this. this. So I, I recommend, you know, if the production is shot on October 10th, talk about it months before so you have a great time talking about it because it just creates enthusiasm you know just so well yeah the, there's no doubt the more organized you are the the uh, I would say the easier but it because it's always difficult but it is easier to get through the shoot and everyone's on the same page everyone's feeling creative and um, it, you have to have you have to be so organized and then it's faster, which makes it cheaper, yeah. and it makes it affordable. Mm -hmm. And you can just zoom right through the, to the end, absolutely. Hey, David, can you tell us a little bit about distribution and how, let's take intervention as a sort of uh, uh, theoretical example and tell, uh, because I think that is an area that most of our audience, and certainly me in particular, are very in the dark on. How does it work? I know, you know, you take things to festivals, you hope you're acquired, there's a strategy involved. What are the steps? How does it happen? Um, where do you make your money? How do you make your deals, et cetera, et cetera? Do you need a producer's rep? Do you need a, um, you know, an agent? Or what? how would you recommend going about it for an independent filmmaker? It's an episodic. Yeah, uh, that's a three-hour episode. We'll be doing <laughs> ten podcasts on this answer. Um, yes, it, my goodness. Well, that's a can of worms. About, uh, where do you start? Well, thinking about marketing. Uh, you know, it depends a lot on what you're shooting. That's first and foremost. Well, let's take the intervention as, as yeah, the absolutely. example. And, and, she, and what she said was true, that a lot of people say, hey, you know what, um, you got to shoot horror. And there's a reason why they say that. The fact of the matter is, everyone's getting wine but me suddenly. Yeah. And that's the important feature. If you give the distributor wine, I'm yeah. telling you that that's you will fun. get your film distributed. <laughs> no, but you know what? It, it, um, it depends what you do and the strategy involved and absolutely what you are, you know, sort of getting at is very true. It is a strategy. Depending on what the film is. Some films are not meant for the festivals. Some are. Um, uh, it ha so happens to be that certain genres are not cast contingent and sell easier than other genres. Horror happens to be one of them. Um, and there's certainly numerous examples that people can throw out at you about a horror film with an unknown cast that was a very, very big success. So um, you have risks involved... Absolutely, no matter the genre, but to a, some degree, the risks are mitigated if you do 
a horror film, which some producers, such as Shannon and Richard, are aware of, and so they know, as do others, that, hey, okay, now we're talking about doing a genre that um, there's a better shot to sell and then to get your money back, and I'm sure there's plans to do another and another, so long as you keep getting the investors their money back and then upping the stakes and you know doing that whole deal, uh, making bigger and better films and that whole business. But... Um, it just depends on the genre, really. I mean, you okay, know. So, you but, have, so let's say you have a horror film, right? And let's say it's not appropriate to take the for for festivals. Okay. okay. Well, there, there are horror festivals too. So there's Shriekfest and there's others, but there's okay, there so, are horror festivals, and Blair Witch wouldn't be Blair Witch without Sundance. So it just depends on the type of horror film too. Right. If you have a really good one that's smart and well shot and the whole business, you might actually find yourself in in the festival circuit. Okay, um, but what other avenue is there besides the Well, there's the markets. You have, um, you know, uh, AFM, obviously. Um, you've got, you can go to Cannes. You can go to, to, there's film markets that you can go to that you can, you know, create a, um, a one sheet of poster, the marketing stuff. I noticed at the Cannes market, there were a lot of horror films. Right. Made. Well, they, they are in all of them. They are saturated, as Shannon said. Yeah. But didn't those Very horror popular. films that we saw at the Cannes market, weren't they already with a distribution not company? Always. Not, not always. Sometimes they're not even made yet. Right. Sometimes they'll just take a poster That's and an idea. Right. That's right. They're pre-selling the yeah. rights, and so they may take a poster the idea and have the actor stand in front of it, and they mm -hmm. pre-sell the rights, get enough money, and then they go make the film. But don't you need a sort of, what is that person called? A, for, a foreign sales rep. That's what, what I'm do? talking about. You do need a foreign sales rep to go, you know, to, for your foreign sales rights. Absolutely, and and in America, you know, um, a producer's rep is um, something that most filmmakers try to get. That, um, but the film, you know, the really good ones. There's only a handful uh, that really matter, and they're very selective. Um, you know, is it a necessity? I don't know necessarily if you have a genre picture that isn't something that would attract. Um, the uh, the the best producer reps that are there, and you can do on your own a lot of repping, obviously, and hitting the markets and hitting the the uh, distributors yourself. I mean, all the distributors are in the business of distributing movies. So if your if your movie's finished, they will screen it. That's their job. There are people there hired to screen your movie. So. Getting in them to see it is not necessarily as hard as people think. What do you do? You just call them up and say, hi, I have a movie. Will you watch Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask a question. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But no. my, my question is, so distribution is one aspect of the whole creative game. Do you think that people are more concerned about dis distribution than making their movie? Sometimes I think so. So, so, yes. so the creative process becomes, well, I can have distribution if I have this kind of genre. Yeah. So the people creating the movie don't even think I, about I, I think what the hell they're making. Yeah, I think sometimes... stop them from making Yeah, the I think sometimes that people will try to get certain actors, even if they're not right for the film, because they think, oh, I've, got, right. I've got Joe Blow in it. You know, and and I've got this, and they'll they'll totally have a preconceived notion of if I do this, this, and this, and this, I'm going to make a lot of money. You know, screw that. So, it's so, like so, 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 then, just, so yeah. then the idea is to make the movie, yeah. then figure out all these other things if, that you're, you're talking not about. Making the movie because you're passionate about it, like you have something that's just burning in your gut, you want to say, and that you want an audience to see. Don't make it. Why bother? I mean, you know, you want to use Blair Witch? We was talking about would Blair Witch been made if they had some kind of preconceived idea about well, we're going to go have this X and X distribution? No they had no I, idea. I knew the, the DP the on it, Neil. Uh, they had no idea it was going to be what it was. None whatsoever. I mean, they had no idea. They thought it was just a great idea. It was a lot of fun. They went out there. I mean, not yeah, none whatsoever. Kind of followed itself. It just, exactly. I, I would actually, uh, you know. I would agree with Shannon completely, except I would say that with your producer hat on, you have to have some understanding of what you need to exploit the goods that you're going to create. So you have to, you, ha you cannot turn a blind eye to the inevitability of what the acquisition executives are going to need. Right. David, you made your right. first film last yeah. time. Would you? I mean, you had no idea of those things. 
That's true. <laughs> I would have hired a yeah. A-list well, a DP, and I would yeah, have right. <laughs> somebody else, a, a DGA, <laughs> and you know, right. AFC. So, but but it turned out to be a great little movie because for whatever, whatever, what I mean, just you know so, where, where, where David's right. I'm not, this, not, and this, this isn't the you're talking about. right. And this isn't the selling it. We're making a horror film of sorts, so I know that the audience has a certain expectation. Right. That I want to fulfill. Uh-huh. So I know they're going to a horror film because you want to be scared. But you also want to show them something they haven't seen before. Right. You want but, to say, but okay, you know, you know, part you of the whole ride is they they want to scream, jump, so forth. And if you don't give that to them, if it's like yeah. a romantic comedy, if they don't kiss at the end, right. then why go? So Wasn't I mean, that romantic, yeah. So I mean, there's certain things you know you or want if, to like, fulfill. If you tune into this podcast and we don't talk about. Filmmaking. Yeah, if I talk about shopping, I could talk about shopping, but yeah. exactly, they'll be disappointed. I have a question. I, I want to ask. Yeah. Did you have something you want to say, Yeah, Cameron? I just want to add something because I think, I mean, Kurt, I hear what you're saying, but that's, I think that perspective that you have is coming from being in Hollywood for a long time, whereas most artists out there no, no, are, are sitting there making these movies with absolutely no clue as to the marketplace or distribution or anything else. They just think that they're, and I've done this now, I mean, I've made short films that cannot get distribution because they are so idiosyncratic, so eccentric, so particular to my vision, which, you know, my mother thinks is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Don't but, all mothers. You know, exa- right. so, so I think a, a small dosage of reality in, in the filmmaker's mind in advance of spending years think... of their lives on something is extremely important. You know, I, I, I agree with you, but... Um, most of me disagrees because I've come from the art world as a painter, a still photographer, and the biggest reason I made work was just to make it, just to make it. I mean, so I didn't care. So I, 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 I thought, I make by but yourself. I think everyone's that's become so educated they think that people. they has to hit this mark in order to do that mark. I think that this. takes away from the whole creative idea yeah, of no, making the movie. By the way, and I would agree with you that you know, as you know, I and Kurt is an artist. Let me tell you, but. You're talking about spending 50 bucks on canvas, 30 bucks on paint. We're talking about spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on making a movie. Unfortunately, you got to get those hundreds of thousands of dollars back. And however, I, 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 I still think the, the, the trick is, and it's, it's, it's somewhat being a magician because you want to do, you need to basically trick Hollywood. You don't need to trick the people involved in your movie. Because you need to do the movie that Kurt's talking about, but you need Hollywood to think that you gave them what they needed to sell it, and that's that's a, that is a double-edged sword. No, but the more educated you are about it, you know, you know what they think they think they need. You know what I'm saying? You know, and that's the trick. You still make your movie, absolutely. You do what you want to do, and it motivates you, and it, it inspires you, and it's fresh, and all that. Because then it's true, and it's great, and it stands out, and it's personal. But then at the end of the day, you did some things, that, and maybe it's the marketing, and maybe it's the way you present it to them. Sure, maybe now, that's the so. way, and that, and that is a part yeah, of it, because they are... The product and the marketing is something different. That you, have to, you have to be a creative person in order to make the marketing, so hire the person who has this whole creative concept of marketing, like Blair Witch on the po- iPod well, or whatever, whatever the hell way, they did. That's exactly, you have to be as well, savvy as you can, because that is part of the game. But I think the combination is a lot of uh, artists... They make it for themselves. Exactly. You can't make it for yourself. You you have to say, look, this is a theme or a subject or something I dig, and I know there's other people out there who dig it too. So I'm going to do this and and reach those people. But I've worked with people that you're making stuff, especially as an actor, and you're in it and you're saying, nobody's going to fucking see this piece of shit because this guy has a great concept and it's going to this and it means my, you know, this is when my girlfriend, she broke... who cares? I didn't even realize we could cuss. Can we cuss? Oh, sure, go cuss. Fucking A. It's clearly... If you didn't have a passion for horror movies, what movie oh. would you make a... Come on, so you have, I, you're bringing something to the genre that... Yeah. Listen. But I had a passion for a period of horror films. Any and that's dream. what was my turn on. 
It's yeah. like, you know, I, I grew up, we were talking about it, like Wicker Man and Don't Absolutely. Look Now and The Exorcist. This is, you didn't make this film just no, to try to hit hard. some sort of no. note on the distribution chain. But, yeah. you know, it's the, you don't want to go the extreme one way where you it's think, I'm just going to give you what, or you don't want to go the other way, I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm right. in my bubble here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's but, a fine line. But the whole thing, but back, if, you, if you have the idea, you will find the money, you will find the yes. creative people to make the whole thing yeah. go. Because but if you start with the idea, listen, I need to reach the Fox or the, the, the Warner Brothers marketing uh, people before I make the movie, you will not make your movie. No, you you, you're, you're paralyzed. Yeah. So. That's a very good point. I, I want to uh, move on just quickly here and ask a technical question of Kurt. Um, and that is about filming a movie that it takes place in the dark most of the time or a lot of the time from what I understand you shoot in the daylight and then this is going to take place a lot of it in the dark how does one go about doing that well I mean, a lot of it is um, um, you, I mean emotionally the best is night for night but the, the way schedules are there are many technical things you can do to make a house look like night like you put tents or you put black over the windows to, to make the house appear to be dark so you can actually bring the actors in at a reasonable time and you shoot the whole scene that takes place at night during the day i mean i there are i've been asked to shoot night for night because someone wasn't aware that yes you can black out the windows because you're not looking out the windows or it's just you can have some glow out the windows to give you the appearance that you're shooting at night and you just bring the tonal value down in the house and you shoot the whole night scene during the day. You'll save your actors, you'll save your producer, you'll save, you know, the headache time for everybody involved in, the, in, in trying to make a night movie shot during the day. I mean, just... The other thing I notice is when we're shooting scenes and Shannon's saying, remember, it looks light in here, right. but... It really, when you see the movie, it's going to be really dark. Right. Now have explain to give, that. Well, you have to give, you know, in, you have to bring out the, you know, well, every film has an ASA, which is a, you know, a standard for light value with a, you know, a certain technical term for how, what the film negative needs in order to have a, an image on it. Um, so you have to give the film a certain amount of light. And then the way, depending on how it's printed, you print it, and you can print it up, or you can print it down. So you have to give certain dark areas some some light, and then when you print it, you print it down, and that will give you a better black area within the black area of the movie. Because my, I'm not a big grain person, so I will fill even though it appears to be, you know, overly lit. You print it down, and when you print it down, it takes those grains or silver particles and they begin to hold together and it makes the whole image darker. So you give the dark areas a little bit of light and print it down in my, in my book. What do you mean by, uh, explain what you mean by grain. Grain is a, it's an affectation of, of the negative. You know, it's, it's made out of particles and so we're halide particles and it's, you know, the, the bigger, the more larger the ASA or, um, the more grain, when you look at a movie, you see all those little particles dancing around. That's what grain is. So, and you've seen certain movies that appear flawless. You don't see particular affectations of the movie jumping around. And that's because the, the the ASA is a is a higher is lower. So lower. you want lower oh. the lower. Well, tell them what I made you do on this one, though. Well, on this movie, <laughs> we uh, we. We were thinking, well, how can we shoot this movie at our... Be fast, be efficient, and not bring all of Hollywood's lighting gear into this movie. So there was a movie that I had seen a long time ago, a long time ago, Breaking the Waves. And the DP looked at his meter and said, listen, listen this meter goes up to 2,000. That's interesting. I, most films only go up to 500. Well, which means he, he took the film stock and pushed it two stops. So he essentially brought up the ASA to 2,000, which is... A lot that was 10 years ago and then and the film it was a dogma film and dogma they, they used no lights so what it means you would come into a room and they would turn on a light just a regular light and shoot the movie because they didn't believe in film lights so he pushed it two stops and I said well this is an interesting idea Fuji and Kodak of all these 500 ASA stocks I don't know what pushed it two stops means. push means to you you have a stock that's you know 
500 the ASA that's the way that you would set your meter at American standard and then you would push another stop which would be a thousand and another stop would be two thousand so you tell the lab which it runs it at a normal processing you push it one stop and they have to send it through through the processor a little bit longer and the second stop is even a little bit longer so you're just making you're compensating for the fact that you're you're no longer shooting at five and you're shooting at 16 and so you're trying to bring up the so are you under lighting and overexposing? No, you're you're lighting it normally. You're just pushing give, the pushing, right. pushing the value of the stock. The, the, you're the, going faster. The film stocks now are very, very <laughs> fast yeah. and very, very clear, which is great because you don't need as much light as you normally would. But because we're actually going after a certain aesthetic, which is an early 70s film, I actually wanted a little grain. So... By uh, we actually like went back and forth with this because I had seen Fuji's, Fuji stock and I'm like, oh man, Kurt, this is too clean. It looks like HD. It's like, what's the point? And he goes, no, nah, if I can push the f-stops. I'm like, oh, I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, what do you mean? So we actually went and tested it. He so he could show me. Look, we can use this fast speed, so we don't have to deal with this much lighting. But I can push it so you get a little bit of that grain you're looking for because you're trying to get a certain look to this film. So that's what we did. So instead of 10Ks or 12Ks, you're using tweenies or light bulbs to light, essentially light this movie. And it's, the China globes, I noticed you're balls, using. Yeah. yeah, they go off a great light only because you know, they have this... Even. Even, and they have this tissue around the globe, and so the light falls off very quickly. So you can hold the globe right next to a person's face, and the light falls off. And you know that's kind of a Rembrandt or a... You know, type of painterly light. And that's, a, that's a light like you would get at Pier 1 Imports Pier or something? One, yeah. like yeah, that one of those Chinese yeah. paper lights? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they put those on the floor, right? All of, because, you know, it's easy to bounce the light off the floor, and, you know, it's just it's light. A pers- one person can hold it. You don't need a team of people. I mean, normal crew for a movie like this is, you know, five and five or six and six, six, six grips or six electric. We're using three and two. I mean, that's... That's a I mean, because <laughs> you know a China ball takes you know Shannon can lift a China ball you know so, <laughs> so no one has to you know no one has to you know break your back or and it's fast and you just tape it to the ceiling you're done shoot mm-hmm. yeah. Shannon I'm, I want to ask you one more thing before mm-hmm. we move into the film bites um, you mentioned a script supervisor how do you use a script supervisor on a shoot um, she does a few things one is um, <clears throat> she's uh, keeping track of, of everything, not only for the camera department. So every she basically kind of runs the show. So everybody has the same numbers. Um, everybody knows what scene, what take it is. Um, she also keeps track of continuity. She also listens to me when I really like something, and she circles that so the editor will know, oh, I, I like that one particularly. Um, on this one, again, because we have a smaller crew, um, she's helping in like so many facets because she'll come back and, to me and say, gosh, I don't know if we really need that line because you covered it here, you know, which is a super supervisor doesn't usually do, but we're like really helping each other out. But for most of the things, she's just, she kind of is like the supervisor to keep everybody on the same page so everybody knows what take it is. Continuity. Yeah, so the continuity and, um, uh, whether or not um, I liked it um, and and what the editor should use. She's also keeping track of, which we missed the other day. Um, when you go to, to, to direct a scene, especially if it has a lot of characters in it like this one, you do what's called coverage. You're going to shoot it from different places in the room, picking up different characters. You might do a master if you if you can, which we're trying, but this the room doesn't allow always, or we might do two masters. Then you start going in for coverage. So I pick up you speaking, then you speaking, and this action, and so forth. Because you only can light one room, side of the room at a time, you tend to pick up everything that's been set on that side of the room before you go to the other side of the room. So you're shooting out of context of the scene a lot of the times you're getting this person's all this person's lines then that person's lines and this bit of action so sometimes as in what happened the other day you're rehearsing it and so in your head you think you shot it and you move on what and happened? then did we miss 
miss something? Yeah, the end of 14, scene 14. Because you rehearse it. What happens is you, oh, br- walk yeah, back to the- you bring the actors right. in and you rehearse it one full time. So each department can look at the, whole, the scene as a whole. Lighting can look at it. Camera can look at it. We all look at it. And then we all decide how we're going to shoot it, what sequence, what part of the room first, how we're going to light it first. So you're keeping track of all these things. Well, sometimes when you're using, we have eight characters in one room and we're totally moving around this room. Well, we've rehearsed it. So in our heads, we thought we shot it. We all missed it. We all missed it. Uh, back. To the uh, at the end of Before the scene, his nosebleed. Before his he walks nosebleed, black, back and, and says yeah, a line. That was your job. You were supposed to watch that. So thing. we didn't film it. Damn now, it. luckily, we are in <laughs> one house and we're here for eighteen days, so we know we can go back and pick this up. Mm-hmm. But if we were moving to another location, we'd yeah. have been screwed. <laughs> I mean, we would have had another had to figure out another uh, way to tell the that's story. That's what's great about your story too in terms of a production in there's not a lot of moves there's no company moves so you're not yeah. doing half a day here and then everyone loading up the trucks moving some other place unloading setting that's up a, that, that's a big deal when people have their first projects Absolutely. they generally have a you know 25 locations or 50 i mean you when you think about a production as a grip and electric crew it's generally two hours in and two hours out depending on the set but so it's two hours to unload assemble everything in two hours to, to to disassemble and get everybody and home at a reasonable hour because you don't want people working 14, 18 hours. I mean, that's just... You can, but it's brutal. We're not, we're, yeah, we're not, not young a anymore. Problem. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> but you know, the we're danger though is actually, and you know, I can speak from days of like where we receive tapes at Miramax and whatnot, is now everyone says, okay, great. I just need a warehouse two or three actors, and I'll do the whole movie in this same warehouse. Well, consequently, there's hundreds and hundreds of films coming in, shot on mini-DV. They were in warehouses with two or three <laughs> actors. <laughs> and you know, you say, well, they shot this over the course of a week or so. And you have to do the best you can to take the minimal locations and open it up. So it, ha- you know what I'm saying. So it has the feel of, wow. But then you can't, you can't cover it in every other direction. You have to s- selectively say right. we will cover it in this, you know, in this frame and not have right. 15 different camera. Right, and you've got outside you know, exteriors. And yeah, you got stuff that's just down the street, but it appears yeah. uh, they don't know we have the, you know, the 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 the, the, the trucks are in the same place. Right. You know, yeah, but it's a fascinating location. I know right. going yeah, up there house. was Absolutely. like, wow, I've never house. seen a house like this. No, it's a great house. And that makes a difference, too. I mean, the whole house is a character. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not like we picked this because, oh, we got this house free. You know, yeah. it's like this is a great house. Okay, mm-hmm. now we're running out of time here, so we're going to move into the film bite section. Um, I'm going to start because... It's my show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. And he hasn't been drinking. Before, and he's, that's right. That's right. He I'll start. In the middle of I'll try and be coherent here. Um, no, uh, <laughs> my thing is just something that David said, uh, just tipped me off on this, is when, when you come to Hollywood or you, go to, you move to New York and you're an actor, it doesn't mean you have to be a waiter. It doesn't mean you, I mean, I know that's the stereotype, and a lot of us, I know when I came to Hollywood, I was an aspiring waiter when I first got here. And uh, I think I wasted a lot of time because people told me, oh, don't be some other thing other than an actor. Don't go to work for the studios. Stay away from anything to do because they'll think they'll pigeonhole you. And I just don't think that's true. I don't know whether things have changed or what, but it's not true. It's not true. And it's so not true. There are so many examples right. of that. So that's mine. Oh. Are we going this way? Well, I was gonna. I would add to that only that my number one thing to is to just say, um, you know, it sounds silly, but anything is possible. And you know what? At the end of the day, no one's gonna walk into wherever you are, um, whatever you're doing, and say, "Hey, I'm gonna give you this." You need to get up and do it yourself if you have to, yeah. and you need to be proactive, and you need to um, be empowered and feel that you are just as capable, and you are. Um, and you need to just you know, pull up the bootstraps and do it, because at the end of the day, you can do it. Anybody can do it. And um, um, you can do a great job that people um, respond to. 
and move your career along in whatever field you want to do, whatever you want to be a DP, for whatever reason, like Kurt, you could do it. And you want to be an actor, producer, director, whatever. But um, feel empowered, feel like you belong, and just say, you know what, I'm going to get up and do it. And you can. And, you know, so long as you're classy and you're smart and you're, you're prepared, you do your homework, um, and you really mean to do something great, you will do something great and people will respond. So I always encourage people, you know what, just do it. You can do it. Absolutely. Why can't you do it? What are you waiting for? Just do it. Yeah. Absolutely. For me, I, I think the whole thing comes down to, if I could use it, you just fall in love. You fall in love with what you're doing and the things that come from falling in love will take you in the direction where you want to go. I mean, it's technical. You fall in love with the technical part. You just let yourself go. Just go. Well, I don't have a film bite so much as I just want to say that I'm so happy to have met all the people in this little family. And I want to thank Shannon for having such an open mind because for me this character um, that I'm playing is different in the sense that she's not specifically a Latino character or an ethnic character. There's nothing particularly culturally uh, specific about her, which is something I've always uh, been trying to get to and it's been extremely difficult for me. Um, so I really appreciate that opportunity, and I've never done a horror film, and I have actually said many times I never will do one because I I don't like them. But when I read the script, I had to um, break that um, caveat because it is such a smart piece of work. I mean, obviously I can't divulge it, but it really is very different, um, and so I'm very excited about it. Um, my bit is that in the end, you, 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 you hope and wish and pray and, and you have a good feeling that it'll go someplace, but you just don't know. So every step of the way has to be enjoyable from the casting process to everybody you hire. If you don't like somebody on it, why waste your time? If these aren't the best 18 days of your life, just these 18 days should be worth it no matter what comes of the film in the end. So it can be an extraordinary process. It can be a great time. Um, make sure you that you hire people to be around you that you really like and you really dig spending 18 days with or how many days your shoot is. And that you, you can look back at it and no matter what, say, you know, when you look back at your life, my God, that was one of the best times I ever had. Because that's, that's, in the end, is the most important thing. I mean, if you're not going to have a great time doing this, don't do it. Go do something else. That's great. And on that note, uh, we're going to end the show. And I want to thank you, David and Kurt and Shannon, for um, talking with us here at the end of a, a long day of shooting, in the middle of a week of shooting. So it's really great that you guys did that. It's and also, the halfway, the exact halfway mark of the film. It's day nine out of day 18. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so uh, we're all looking forward to seeing this film. And it's called, yeah, go the, see it. it's called The Intervention. And uh, we'll let everybody know when it's going to hit the theaters. I'm sure you'll know by then. Um, and thank you all. Thank you. Good night.